0: Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Well, good morning to the First Baptist family, and uh, I want to start this morning by saying that I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is that we have just returned from Israel with about 70 pilgrims from our church, and we had an incredible time of getting to walk where the master walked. It was a very uh, enriching and worshipful experience. So that's the good news. The bad news is that several people on the trip have tested positive for COVID-19, and I am one of those. And so out of a preponderance of caution, I'm quarantining. But given that we're starting a new teaching series today, I didn't want to delay that. And so I'm recording this message to launch this teaching series because I think this is something very, very important and very timely for us. Before I start though, uh, two things briefly. First of all, congratulations to our seniors. This This is a watershed moment in life as you move forward to the next step. Congratulations. This church is proud of you. We are invested in you. We are praying for you for your whole life. You always have a place here. Second, I wanna make you aware of something that's gonna begin next Sunday. So Memorial Day is coming up. In fact, it'll be Sunday, uh, May 29th, I believe, is the Sunday Memorial Day weekend. So we're taking that Sunday and the Sunday's on either side of it to do a special Memorial Day offering. So beginning next Sunday, you'll see a blue envelope in the window ledges, and this is an opportunity for you to give a gift in honor or in memory of someone. And these gifts won't go to First Baptist Tulsa, they'll go to the First Baptist Tulsa Foundation. And those gifts, the interest of which, will serve this church until the Lord returns. I'll talk more about this next week, but I really want you to take this opportunity and I already have in mind some people that I want to honor, one person in particular that I want to remember by a gift. And we will publish those names uh, in the month of June, we'll make those names known to honor and to remember somebody. So I want this to be on your radar screen for next week. So the next time that you feel like you have troubles, I wanna give you a reading assignment. I want you to go and pick up Corrie ten Boone's first book called The Hiding Place. So Corrie ten Boone and her family, they were Dutch Christians during the Nazi uh, takeover of Europe in the Second World War and during that Holocaust era. And they were such committed followers of Christ that they were going to hide and protect as many Jewish people as possible. But when the Nazis discovered them, they arrested the Timboon family and they sent them into concentration camps. So it's a good reminder that in comparison to that, most of us really don't have real problems. But this is a story that Corey Timboon writes from earlier in her life. Her father was a watchmaker, a craftsman, And they're on a train one day, and she had heard a new word that she didn't understand, and it's translated into English as sex sin. She was such a young girl, she heard this sex sin and didn't know what that word meant. So she asked her father why they were riding the train, and here's what she writes. He turned to look at me, as he always did when answering a question, but to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up when the train stopped. He lifted his traveling case from the rack over our heads and set it on the floor. Will you carry this off the train, Corey, he said. So I stood and I tugged at it. It was crammed with watches and spare parts that he had purchased that morning. I said, it's too heavy. He said, yes. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it, but for now, you must trust me to carry it for you. And I was satisfied, more than satisfied, wonderfully at peace. There were answers to this and to all my hard questions, but for now, I was content to leave them in my father's keeping. That's a great parable for this moment as we as adults talk about gender issues and gender identity and, and gender orientation, all, all these things that we're talking about in our culture, I think we need to be careful about putting too much on our children too soon because it's too heavy for them to bear. But I want to use that story in a broader context about when life gets too heavy for us to handle. Uh, I call them the triple A's now. A-A-A-A, AAA, AAA. triple A. As I do pastoral counseling, I discover that most issues people come to my office wrestling with fall into one of three categories. Addiction, you know, if there's ever proof for God, I think it rests in addiction, because we discover that we just don't have within us what it takes to make life work. We're always looking for something else. Addiction, anger is the second A. What have I said before? It's easier, to always be angry than it is to admit that we're sad. So there's addiction, there's anger, and the last one I think is the biggest one, anxiety. That many of us feel, and maybe you feel this way today, that the weight of the world is riding on your shoulder. I want you to hear from the very onset of this teaching message, teaching series, that we do not have a poor heavenly father. We have a good heavenly father. And He is ready and willing to carry the weight of your world. And peace, perfect peace, is possible for all of us as we trust in Him. And we can be content to leave the worries and cares of our life in His hands. We have a good, good Father. So I wanna start by piling on just a little bit. Okay, get ready. I think you already know the problem of anxiety, but I wanna make it crystal clear. Psychologists have come out recently and have said that we need to start screening children for anxiety disorders as young as eight years old. Right now, grade school children, almost 10% of grade school children deal with an exceptional amount of anxiety. The average high school student experiences more stress in their daily life than what psychiatric patients in the 1950s experienced. More stress just in their normal everyday life. And anxious children tend to become anxious adults. So I don't know about your profession, but I know it's true of all people professions like doctors and nurses and and teachers and pastors. There's a great deal of anxiety and compassion fatigue right now. Right now, 50% of pastors would do something else if they could find a way to support their families. Right now, 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month permanently because they're done, they're worn out, they're tired of the worries. And I'm not saying this because it's about pastors. That's true of almost all people professions right now. And on top of all of this, Anxiety has gotten so bad that every 40 seconds on our planet, somebody can't take anymore, and they take their life. 40 seconds. Here's a stopwatch. Somebody else couldn't take any more, and they just took their own life every 40 seconds. During that 40-second time, I was praying for you that if you're at that point, that maybe it's time to come back from the edge of that anxiety just a bit because there's more than just two options. We we either think that we're going to live with anxiety or we're going to die from anxiety. Is there not another option other than those two? Maybe we can pass through anxiety. And I have no illusions, we're gonna spend two months talking about anxiety, I'm under no illusions that two months your life will not just change overnight. You're not gonna be, if you deal with anxiety, you're not gonna be healthy in the next two months, but you can be healthier and you can also be holier in terms of understanding that you have a God who is a good, good Father and you can put the cares of all of your anxieties on Him. So, in the next few weeks, we're going to look at a handful of people in the Bible, every one that I could find, that got so filled with anxiety that they asked God to end their lives. But before we do that, I think we need to do some foundational work. And I want to start with the teachings of Jesus Himself and His teaching about worry. And and we're going to read this morning. This passage of Scripture is from Matthew 6, from verse 25 all the way down to verse 34. Okay, and we're going to take this passage this morning, and let's hear and really soak in the words of the Master. So Jesus says this, starting in Matthew 6, verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. I want to stop right there for just a moment. Jesus doesn't want you to live a life of worry. That's such a simple thought, but it's, it's also very profound. And maybe that's the only thing that you need to hear today. Jesus does not want you to live a life of worry. And I think it's important here to talk about exactly when we say worry what we're talking about because uh, generally speaking, there are two kinds of worry. First, there is a facilitating fear. So a facilitating fear is you're concerned about something. So you take action in order to mitigate or minimize the possibility of that taking place. So let's say you're worried about oversleeping. You've got a new job, you're going to school, you wanna wake up on time, so you're concerned about oversleeping in the morning, so you use that fear to facilitate action. You go to the store, you buy an alarm clock, you put it by your bed, you set the time, you put it there, and it goes off the next morning, you wake up, that's a facilitating fear. Your concern sparked action which brought about a cure, okay, a benefit. But there's also something called debilitating fear. So imagine that you're worried about oversleeping, but when that alarm clock goes off in the morning, it doesn't stop going off. There is no off button. There is no snooze button. And all day long, that alarm is just blaring in your ear where you can't think about anything else. For some of you dealing with anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's what's going on in your head. That's debilitating fear. That's debilitating worry. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. And so what we have here in Matthew 6 is Jesus' longest discourse on any emotion. He talks more about worry than he does sadness or happiness or loneliness or love. He really focuses on this because he knows where we live. He knows our condition. So would you just listen to the words of Jesus? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? Is not life more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the grass of the field. They do not spin, but yet your heavenly Father clothes them. And are you not much more valuable than they? I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So I've lived with these words for a long time. And what I appreciate about Jesus is his absolute genius in talking about worry because he addresses any issue that we can have, be it internal or external. He talks about food and clothes. Well, food is something we put in us and our clothes is something that we put on us. And so whether your worry is internal or external, these words apply, whether it's sickness, illness, or whether it's your job, whether it's inside or outside, whether you feel like your life is up or down right now. He says, look at the birds and look at the grass. For some of you right now, things are looking up, but you know what, that's often the time that we worry the most, isn't it? Because we think, well, well, things are going so good, when's the other shoe gonna drop, right? Or if things are looking down, you think, will this only get worse? Will life ever be good again? So whether things are looking up or looking down, these words apply to you. Whether you're a man or a woman, the word Jesus has used for birds and, and the words around that, how, how birds do not sow or reap, that's a masculine word. And that's typically the work of males in Jesus's day. It's working the farm. or the word for flower is a feminine word, and laboring and spending were typically female activities. So male or female, no matter who you are, no matter your current circumstance, no matter the issue that you face, these words are for you. Jesus is speaking to you today. So not only have I lived with these words for a long time, but I have lived with anxiety for a long time. I would rather talk about this when we're face-to-face, and so I'm going to put that off, but if you think that I have lived a life free from anxiety, you could not be more wrong. And what I've learned over time is people can present a good front, especially in church, but just because we look good on the surface doesn't mean that we don't deal with the ravages of anxiety in our soul. So I've lived with anxiety for a long time. And as a result, I've learned some things from this passage. And so, I'm going to give you three um, practices this morning, okay? And these are foundational to everything else that we'll talk about in the next few weeks. And, and you've heard that old phrase that practice makes perfect. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. But I have a young friend who was a dancer earlier in life, and her instructor told her that practice makes permanent. So as you practice these things, it's not that you're ever going to be perfect. We're human. But these practices can become a permanent part of who we are. So three practices. Here's the first one. Practice the present moment. Now, please don't think I'm going new agey on you. I am not, okay? We need to practice living in the present moment. Jesus says, I want you to look around. Look at the birds. I want you to to see the flowers of the field, soak in the present moment. In fact, he'll say later, and we'll quote this here in just a minute, don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. We need to live right here, right now. So the next time you are worried, the next time you're anxious, I want you to consider when you are living, okay, because we practice mental time travel all the time. Sometimes our anxiety is caused by living in the past we worry about something that we've done or something that we've said and and we try to not only remember but but relive those events hoping they'll turn out different and we're worried about something that's happened in the past. Or sometimes we travel forward in the future and we play the what if game and we play out the worst case scenario on things and we're, we're living in the future. We can't change the past. We really can't affect the future. We're called to live right here, right now. Practice. Living in the present moment. So the next time you're worried, just stop and say, when am I living? I need to live right here. You wanna hear the funny thing? As I was writing this message, it was the week before we went to Israel, I had so much to do, and I was writing frantically. I thought, I've gotta get this done because I've got this, this, and this, and this meeting and that thing to do. And I caught myself living in the future as I'm writing this very thing. So I had to stop and say, I need to live in the present moment. This is the most important thing I'm doing right now. And some of that anxiety began to dissipate. Practice the present moment. Practice the presence of God. Jesus here several times refers to God, but also refers to God as our Father. So I've been meditating lately on the words that Jesus taught us to pray Our Father in heaven. Father is an intimate word. It's a word that's about relationship. In heaven reminds us that God is not only intimate, but He's infinite. But ultimately Jesus refers to God as our Father because in the world then, and in many cases in the world today, the Father of the family was the one who exercised authority. Listen, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, You have a good, good Father. And He has authority over your life. And so as we live, if we remember that we are in the presence of God and under His authority, then we are under His protection, we are under His provision. I can't explain this to you, but but the moments in life when I've been in a situation and I suddenly remember that I live in the presence of God, it's almost as though I walk into a different room. Nothing has changed, but everything has changed. The next time you worry, the next time you're anxious, I want you not only to live in the present, I'm right here right now, but God is right here right now. We practice the presence of God and that practice makes permanent. So for some of us, let's just let's just call this what it is, we don't live in the presence of God. We just kind of give God a few moments of our day instead of allowing ourselves to live in His presence throughout the day. Here's the best illustration I can give. You remember in the dark ages when internet access was through dial-up? You would sit down at your computer, you would connect to the internet via your phone line, and it would make a screeching sound. It would make a series of beeps as as your computer began to connect with other computers. That that beeping and screeching, if you remember, sounds like um, a cat being tortured which by the way is a great sound. So it it makes some beeps and screeches and so your computer would then connect to the internet. You could do your email, whatever you wanted to search, then you would log off. And so your connectivity was just every now and then. But now the world has totally changed, hasn't it? We no longer live in those dark ages of internet. That your computer and your phone and all of your devices, your iPad, they're connected constantly. You're never not connected. So my question for you today is, is your relationship with God dial up? That you just connect when you need something or when you think about it, but, but where we're meant to live is not only in the present moment, we are meant to live in the presence of God as our good, good father. And that practice of calling God to mind and remembering that he is always present, that practice makes permanent. There's one more practice I want to give you, living in the present moment, living in the presence of God, also practicing the presence of people. Hear those words again of Jesus, why do you worry about your one little life? The tendency we have is to become so focused on ourselves that not only are we the center of our universe, but we're the only thing in our universe. That's not how we're meant to live. And if you have recognized the amount of mental illness that has come in the wake of COVID-19 because people have lived in such isolation, we are meant to worry about more than our lives. We are meant to be concerned about the people around us. You remember that second great command of love other people as you love yourself? Do you remember what Dallas Willard said? To give somebody else your attention as the first act of love, I will also say that when you give somebody your attention, you help yourself to maintain sanity because you get your eyes off of you. And so please, I plead with you every way I know how, if you want to defeat worry in your life, you need to get your eyes off of yourself and start serving other people. It's the way we're made, it's what we're made for, it's what Christ commands us to do. So practice makes permanent to practice the present moment, to practice the presence of God, to practice the presence of people. I'm not promising you that anxiety will go away if you do these things, but I will promise you that you will live a lot closer with God and you'll walk with Him every day. So we're in the short rows now. Jesus continues to say, so I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Do not the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So do not worry about your life. Father knows you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Monday will take care of Monday. Each day has enough trouble All its own. Can I give you this final exhortation? Live like a Christian. Live like a Christian. When it comes to our anxiety and worry, many times we live just like the pagans. We live just like anybody else, but we are called to live like Christians. What does that mean? That means when bad things happen, and they will, you know what I've discovered about anxiety is the things I worry about typically don't happen. It's the things I don't worry about that do happen. But in dealing with anxiety, we need to live like followers of Jesus. And that means that when bad things happen, we know that it serves a bigger purpose. And I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, but I think it's pretty close. When something bad happens, it may be an opportunity for you to repent. When something bad happens, it could be that you caused it. If I'm rude with my wife, it starts affecting our marriage and she questions, you know, I don't know if I want to be married to you for the rest of my life. That bad situation should cause me to repent. If I'm being rude to her, my actions need to change. And listen, repentance is a sweet thing. Second, when bad things happen, often it's an opportunity for us to grow in wisdom. Maybe there's nothing to repent of, but maybe... There's something I need to learn from this." So when we went to Israel a few weeks ago, we went to Tulsa International Airport and we were going to get on a flight, go to Chicago. We had four hours in Chicago. We had forever on the layover. But our plane, because of weather, kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. It got so bad that we wondered that we weren't going to make our connection from Chicago to Tel Aviv. And for some of us, our trip would have been canceled. It got that close. I mean, we ran onto the plane at our connection to Chicago just in time. But as we're flying to Chicago, and I was so riddled with anxiety, I stopped right there and I thought, what is making me anxious right now? Why am I anxious, okay? And I discovered two things about myself. Here's what makes me anxious. I love control and I want certainty. I was able to articulate that, that I want to control things that are going on, but When it comes to airlines, if you haven't noticed, you can't control anything. I also wanted certainty. I want to know for certain that we were going to make it to Tel Aviv on time. Well, I wouldn't know that until we actually got on the plane. And so I had to surrender my need for control. I had to surrender my need for certainty in that moment. And I'm not saying my anxiety went away, but it was put in perspective. I'm not in control of this. And I'm not gonna have certainty, I have to trust. And sometimes those anxious moments, if we stop and look at them, there was wisdom to be had. So when difficult things happen, it's an opportunity to repent, it's an opportunity to gain wisdom. It's also, and here's the biggie, every difficult thing happens to us in life, develops our character. Here's what I wanna deal with a big question. Is anxiety a sin? And I've been reading around this and trying to come to a conclusion because there are some people who will say that if you're anxious about something, it proves that you don't trust God and that is a sin. Well, let's think this through. So Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was filled with anxiety. So much so that his capillaries burst and it looked like that he was crying blood. He was that filled with anxiety and if Jesus is a sinless human being and he experienced anxiety, what does that tell us? Listen, anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is an emotion and it's what we do with that emotion that can lead to sin or not. For instance, uh, Paul would say, in your anger, do not sin. Anger is an emotion and when you have that emotion, you can choose to sin or not. I would say that verse could be rephrased, in your anxiety do not sin. Anxiety can lead to sin, but anxiety can also lead to a deeper character in learning to know God so well that you trust Him no matter what. To know God so well that you trust Him no matter what, that that practice makes permanent and that you know you have a good, good Father. So I really wish I was in person with you this morning. But hey, I can't be anxious about that. We just do the best we can, right? Because what I was going to do this morning is pray and anoint you with oil for those of you who feel like that you were overcome with anxiety. And what I was going to do is say, if, if this is scary for you to step out into the aisle and come down, I, I really want you to do it because anxiety, if you give it an inch, it'll take it. And then it'll push you back. It, 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 we always try to pull back a little bit, hoping anxiety won't take any more, but, but it always does. The only way to defeat anxiety is to stand up to it like a bully, to push back, to do something that you're uncomfortable with, to survive that, and then realize you can do more. Well, since I can't be with you this morning, I still want you to make a move. Here in just a moment, we're gonna sing a, a song of response, and we're gonna sing about God being our Father. And what I want you to do, if you wrestle with anxiety and you're ready to push back and you're ready to retake your life, you're ready to resurrender your life to the Lord, that you don't want anxiety to take one more inch, I want you to get out of the seat from where you are and just come take a knee at this altar. To take a knee here. You say, well, I've never done that before. That feels scary. Exactly, it is. I also want to give you a prayer to pray this week as you come to this altar in your worship announcements this morning. And for the duration of this series, there's going to be one verse that every week I'm going to ask you to memorize. And so this will be the memory verse for this week. It's Psalm 56, 3. It's a prayer. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I don't care who you are, you can memorize that. And so as you come to this altar and take a knee today, you don't even have to stay here long. You can stay here just long enough to pray this prayer. It's not how long you're here, it's that that you do it and that you stand up to anxiety and you surrender yourself to the Lord. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God as a good, good father. Normally we dismiss to the follow-up room right away if you want to make a decision. We're going to hold off on that. Jeff will, will extend that offer, that invitation here in just a moment. But as we worship and as we sing, I invite you to come take a knee to remember that you have a good father, to practice his fatherhood, which, which will make his fatherhood permanent in your life. God, I really wish that I could be in the same room with my church family this morning, but circumstances have made that impossible. But I pray that the circumstances would not stop what needs to happen today. That today, you are in the room. Would we practice being in this present moment? Would we practice your presence? Would, If we don't come to the altar, would we practice the presence of people and pray over those who deal with anxiety? But as many who need to, would they come take a knee before you today? Not as an act of commitment, as much as an act of surrender that when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Help us to do this scary thing that is the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to the Lord right now. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.